All right, so today we are finishing up our series in the book of Philippians, and we are going to be talking about what it means to be content. We're in chapter 4 of the book of Philippians, and I want to give you a little bit of context as to what Paul is saying here. The Philippians have sent him some, some financial aid prior to his writing this letter, and so he is in the process of thanking them for this gift, but also explaining his heart and his reason behind what he says. So if you have your Bible or a Bible app, or if you just want to read along on, on the screen, that is all fine. But starting in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, Paul says this, "'How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned that the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Now, to make sure we are all on the same page as to what contentment means, I want to define it for you. Okay, contentment means to be satisfied with what you have, who you are, and where you are. Contentment is satisfaction with, who, with what you have, who you are, and where you are. But often we find that we are a very discontent people. A large percent of us in this room aren't satisfied with who we are, certainly not with what we have, and maybe not even where we are. And the question that I want to ask this morning and, and attempt to answer with you is, why are we so discontent? Why are 45% of Americans dissatisfied with their lives? And why is that number growing almost every day? And I thought a lot about this, and I, I think... I think I've narrowed it down to three main reasons as to why we are discontent. Three main reasons. And I think they're this. I think, number one, we chase the wrong things. Number two, we have unrealistic expectations. And number three, we don't choose contentment. And what I want to do over the next few minutes is show you what I mean, and talk through how maybe we can overcome some of these things. So let's talk about the things that we chase, because everybody in here is chasing something. For some of us, it's that promotion at work that will give us a newfound power and authority. For some of us, it's a vacation home and a nice, healthy 401k. For some of us, it's it's the, the prestige that comes with having more followers and subscribers on our Instagrams or our TikToks, the influence that comes with that. All of us are chasing something. And, and here's the thing. Those things aren't bad things. It's even okay to want those things. I'm, we're not talking about wanting things. We're talking about that sold-out devotion, borderline worship of chasing after and attaining 
prosperity, power, and prestige. Because it all comes back to chasing prosperity, power, and prestige. It's that rat race that we've all heard about, right? That exhausting competition of trying to rise higher and earn more than anybody else, faster than anybody else. Actress Lily Tomlin is famously quoted as saying, the problem with the rat race is even if you win, you're still a rat. The problem with chasing those things, power, prosperity, and prestige, is that they will not bring you contentment, even once you catch them. And in fact, once you catch them, they may end up being a burden. King Solomon was the richest, most powerful, and well-known man of his time. He had more financially. He had more authority. Everybody knew his name. He was the Jeff Bezos of his day, just without the rocket ship. Everybody wanted what King Solomon had. But look at what King Solomon says in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. He says this, Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. So what good is wealth except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers. And then in verse 15, just a couple of verses ahead, he says this, we all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as on the day we were born. That is a really humbling thought, isn't it? That at the end of our lives, all the money we've made, all the power we have accumulated, all the prestige that goes along with our name. To me, it means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. In the 1998 movie, Holy Man, Eddie Murphy, he plays this wise and enlightened character named G. And, you know, sometimes I think that comedians are the best prophets for our modern-day world. They just they have the ability to say things that cuts through some of the noise that maybe doesn't have some of the same baggage that somebody preaching from a stage might say. And in this movie, he says this, 75 years. That's how much time you get if you're lucky. 75 years, 75 winters, 75 springtimes, 75 summers, and 75 autumns. And when you look at it like that, it's not a whole lot of time, is it? Don't waste them. Get your head out of the rat race and forget about the superficial things that preoccupy your existence and get back to what's important now, right now, this very second. And I'm not saying drop everything and let the world come to a grinding halt. I'm saying that you could become a seeker. You could be loving more. You could be taking some chances. You could be living more. You could be spending more time with your family. You could be getting in touch with the part of you that lives instead of fears, the part of you that loves instead of hates, and the part of you that recognizes the humanity in all of us. If we are constantly chasing after something, we are never going to be content. In fact, I'd argue that continuing to chase after things that can't really be attained are only going to make us discontent whether we catch it or not. That doesn't mean, though, that there's 
nothing in this life worth chasing. The question is, what's worth chasing? And that answer is the kingdom of God. Chasing after the kingdom of God. Because what would that do to our level of content? If instead of chasing after power and prestige and prosperity, we chased after making this world a more loving, just, equal, and merciful place. We chased after a world where there weren't hungry children or homeless communities or refugee camps. What would that do to our contentment if we made those things the things we chased after? Last week, Jeremy talked about anxiety, and he used this very famous passage from Matthew 6. It's famous if you're a worrier, and I'm a worrier, so I know that passage like the back of my hand. And it's that passage, if you're not really familiar with it, I'm glad for you, because that's hard to worry all the time. But he's talking about how, you know, you got the birds, and they, they don't sow or reap or store their food away, yet God makes sure to feed them. And you've got the lilies of the field, and look how well they're dressed. They have better splendor than Solomon. And if God cares for the, the birds and, and the flowers, how much more does he care for you? And at the end of that passage, he says this, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Chase after the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. So if we chase after the right thing, maybe that'll help us with our discontentment just a little bit. The second reason we're discontent is because we have unrealistic expectations. We have unrealistic expectations about life, about our jobs, our families, our relationships, our church, a million things. We have unrealistic expectations about them. You know, a perfect example of this is that in 2019, so just a, a couple of years ago, a poll was done of, of millennials. Now, millennials are people that were born between the years of 1981 and 1996. So raise your hand if you fall into that camp, because I know there's quite a few of us saying, come on, there's more of you out there. I know. All right. So it, this, we get a bad rap, but, but stick with me here, okay? So this, this poll, they asked millennials, and 53% of millennials said they thought they would be millionaires by the time they turned 50. Despite the fact that we as millennial generation has started with with a less median wealth than the last two generations. That's very optimistic, but it's very unrealistic, right? I see a lot of the Gen Xers and baby boomers, you know, shaking their heads, yes, how unrealistic of those poor millennials. And millennials, it's not all of our fault. Sure, we were the first generation to get participation trophies. <laughs> but, but... Who do you think bought them for us? <laughs> Who told us that we could be whatever we wanted? That we could achieve whatever we set our mind out to? And it's not just us millennials. It, it, this is not unique to us. This is just part of the American existence because it's baked in to our philosophy as Americans. The American dream that we all deserve, right? Work hard. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps and achieve. And you'll have everything you'll ever want. You'll be happier for it. But friends, that's just not 
realistic. That's not a realistic expectation for life because there is a lot of heartache. In fact, I would say the root of most of our heartache comes from unrealistic expectations because when you constantly have expectations that cannot be met, you're going to constantly be disappointed and you cannot be content when you are constantly disappointed. Author and theologian Anne Lamott says, expectations are resentments waiting to happen. So the answer is to have zero expectations and you'll be fine. I'm kidding because that's unrealistic too. (laughs) For a minute you thought I was serious. No, the answer is to have realistic expectations. And that sounds so simple, but it is so hard. So set realistic expectations first for yourself. There, there are some of us in this room and watching at home, we don't think enough of ourselves. And then there are some of us in this room and watching at home that think pretty, maybe a little too much of ourselves. And in Romans chapter 12, Paul actually tells us, hey, when you evaluate yourselves, do it with sober judgment. Don't look too lowly upon yourself. Don't look too highly upon yourself. Evaluate yourself and then set expectations based on what you actually see in the mirror, not what you want to see or not what you think other people see. And set realistic expectations for the people around you, the people in your life, for other people. And then please, please, please communicate those expectations because none of us are mind readers. Set realistic expectations for the world. Because guys, we all know this place is broken. I mean, it, it's, it's really broken. And we are broken. And broken people and things are usually going to show up with broken results. And finally, we even, maybe even especially set unrealistic expectations about God. We expect Him to give us the answer we want to every prayer that we pray, that He should always say yes to whatever we ask and just the way we ask it. And I, I, there's a really bad joke that I, I love, and I, 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 I'm not going to ask for permission. I'm just going to tell a bad joke because I enjoy it. And this is for me, not for you. But... There's this, this joke about a grandfather and a grandson, and they're walking along a beach together and just enjoying the day, when out of nowhere, this rogue wave comes crashing onto them, onto the beach, and, and the grandfather gets up, and, and he recognizes that he can't find his grandson anywhere. His grandson has been washed out to sea. And he's looking, and he's panicking, and he, he doesn't see his grandson anywhere, so he falls down on his knees right there in the sand, and he screams up to the heavens, "'Please, God, save my grandson!' And about that moment, another wave comes crashing in and it throws the grandson back onto the beach and the grandson is coughing up water and he's scared, but he's alive. And the grandfather, he runs over to the little boy to check on him to make sure he's okay. And he looks up at the heavens and he screams, he had a hat. I told you it was a bad joke. (laughs) But sometimes 
we expect things from God that just aren't realistic. God is not going to say yes to everything you ask of him. And he's not going to say right now to every time you ask him when. Setting realistic expectations for who our God is will really help us find contentment. And realizing that he was being honest with us when Isaiah 55, he says, my ways are not your ways. As unsatisfying as that might sound, it's honest. And it can help us be content with knowing who our God is. And the third and final reason we are discontent is because, frankly, we just don't choose it. We, we choose not to be content. Because contentment or joy or peace or whatever you want to call it is something that we have to mentally choose every single day. It is an act of will. It is not something that can be dependent upon outside factors or circumstances. 17th century pastor Thomas Watson wrote this in his book, The Art of Divine Contentment. Contentment is an internal thing. It lies within a man, not in the bark, but the root. Contentment has both its fountain and stream in the soul. The beams of comfort which a contented man has do not arise from foreign comforts, but from within. Thieves may plunder us of our money and goods, but not of this pearl of contentment unless we are willing to part with it. In Philippians, Paul tells us that his contentment is something that he has learned. And he learned it through some pretty terrible circumstances. He learned it through being hungry. He learned it through being poor. He learned it through being shipwrecked and beaten and arrested. But his contentment is not dependent upon those things. And if I can be really honest with you, this is something that I personally struggle with very, very much. Not allowing my circumstances, the things outside of my control to impact whether or not I am content. My plans don't work out or if I have, a, have something that doesn't come through just the way I was hoping, I have a hard time being content. My kids are unhappy or my wife is frustrated or things aren't going well at work or if I don't feel like our financial situation is strong enough or a million other things, I have a hard time being content. I allow my worries, my frustrations, my concerns, and my disappointments to determine whether or not I am content. And that's a choice I'm making. I'm making the choice to not be content. I'm choosing to allow those things to affect me in that way. But friends, bad things are going to happen. People are going to disappoint us and let us down. Life is going to throw us curveballs. And God's going to say no sometimes. But at the end of the day, the thing 
that brings us contentment can't be a thing at all. It's a person. His name is Jesus. Philippians 4.13 is one of the most oft-quoted verses in all the Bible. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Are you ready to hate me? Because I'm going to ruin this verse for you. Most of the time when we reference this passage, we are taking it completely out of context. We apply it to whatever new endeavor we're facing, whether that's a a new job or a, a big game or facing some opportunity in life. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But when Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What he means in his context is no matter what I'm experiencing, no matter what my circumstances, whether I'm hungry or full, rich or poor, I can continue on joyfully because I am sustained by the peace and joy that comes from knowing Christ and being known by Christ. To come back to King Solomon just once more, Solomon finally found some contentment. And honestly, it's, it's a pretty simple place that he lands, and it really doesn't sound so bad. It's from that same chapter we read earlier, chapter 5, and he says this in verse 18, I have noticed one thing at least that is good. It is good for people to eat, drink, and enjoy their work under the sun during the short life God has given them and to accept their lot in life. Something our church doesn't do all the time is offer benedictions in our service. And a benediction, it's a fancy way of saying giving a blessing, bestowing a a blessing on somebody. And I think we could all use some, some blessing in this regard of, of choosing contentment, chasing after the right things, setting realistic expectations. So as we're closing out today, as you leave this place and go out into the world, may you be content. May you chase the kingdom of God Set realistic expectations for this life. May you eat and drink, enjoy your work and the time that you have. And may you choose to be content in knowing that you are known by Christ. I want to finish with a little poem from the Book of Common Prayer, which I did not grow up with the Book of Common Prayer. And maybe... Maybe some of you grew up with the Book of Common Prayer. Maybe you've never even heard of this book. But it's just a, it's, it's literally a book of prayers. And there's a poem at the end of every morning prayer. And it's the same poem every single day. But it brings me so much comfort. And as part of this opportunity to bless you, I, I just want to, I want to say this poem to you. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever He may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, 
protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. And may he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Let's pray.